If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, uh, we're going to be in both Exodus 20 as we continue our sermon series for the rescue of us all. We've been looking at some themes in this incredible second book of the Bible. And today we're going to be in both Exodus 20. We're also going to read from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles, maybe get ready for that. Uh, if you don't, there should be a Bible right in front of you. Uh, words will be on the screen as well. I have a Friday routine that I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite routines. And my Friday morning routine includes bringing coffee uh, to my beloved wife uh, and her fellow workmates at Willow Creek Preschool. And you think about it, if anybody needs caffeine, is it not preschool teachers, right? And so it's Friday, and uh, I'm going to try to be a blessing to them and, and bring them some caffeine. Some choose to have donuts. We won't say who. Uh, they might be here visiting today. But anyway, it, it really is awesome. And so I, I bring them in. When I get there, they're on this playground. And it's a, it's a beautiful playground uh, with lots of toys. Uh, I find that the teachers are in great conversation with one another, and the kids are just having a fantastic time. I'm like, is anybody watching these kids here? Uh, but they are. They're well taken care of. Great stuff. And there's this really cool fence around this one little fenced-in area uh, that they could all play in. And I've come to the decision that I think every workspace should have a playground. Isn't that right? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't we play better if maybe you need to just go, don't you got to go run this off? Can't you go on the tire swing for a little bit better? Uh, I don't know about you, but if we had those. And some of the workspaces now... Uh, that you've seen like Amazon and some of these newer places. They got some of the coolest workspace uh, spaces with things like playgrounds. I remember I was in Wisconsin for a wedding and I went to this place called Epic. They have offices and trees. They have like the tree house. It's like, it's like, what is this place? You know, they say, well, really to get better work environment, you have to have these things. You know, interestingly, a study was conducted, don't know if you know this, uh, to observe any physical or psychological influences of having a fence around a playground. Like how it's gonna affect the children. And there's a striking difference between uh, playgrounds that have fences and those that don't. I mean, it's a really, it's amazing difference between uh, the two, um, those who have a fence and those who don't. Uh, the ones that have a fence, the children, the ones who don't have a fence, the children tend to gather around the teacher um, if there's no fence there, they don't wander very far. Uh, they usually stay uh, close by. They have, isn't it interesting, without a fence, they have less freedom to explore. Huh. Without a fence, they, they seem to be reluctant to, to really go very far. But on playgrounds that had fences, children ran around the entire perimeter of the playground. They felt more secure. Uh, they, they felt more safe and they had the freedom to explore. Well, God has given his people a fence to play within, a fence to, to have us find life and explore. Uh, that fence in God's word is, is also the Ten Commandments. Uh, he's given us these Ten Commandments. Now watch this. He didn't give us Ten Commandments to take away our freedom or our freedoms. He has given us commandments to set us free and to truly live. And we're going to examine that. Uh, when I was in college, uh, Florida Southern College, which I'm sure you know is the Harvard of the South. Uh, when I was there and I studied business administration, and surprise you that I was a marketing major. 
but one of the things we had to study was economics. And if you're a business major, you know that they're going to break economics down into macroeconomics and microeconomics. Now, microeconomics is the study of an individual or it's a study of a business or families or companies. It's very micro. It focuses on the specifics of an individual and how this affects you. But macroeconomics steps back, takes a much wider view and looks at economies on a much larger scale, maybe regional or national or, or even global. Uh, well, this morning's theme, uh, as we continue our sermon series for the rescue of us all, uh, looking at the themes of rescue and exodus, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, but this is going to be really a macro view. This is going to be a bigger view of how God's law fits in. It's going to be an overview of how does the Ten Commandments really show, fit into this big picture of God, and that God rescues us. Where, where does that fit in? Uh, the micro section of this is so important. I mean, seriously, I mean, King's Chapel, we could look through the Ten Commandments, and I could preach 30, 40 sermons on each, you know, looking through each one, and we could dive deep, and there's a point to that, and maybe someday we are going to do that. Uh, so for those of you who love micro, those of you who love digging in, today might feel a little frustrating, to be honest with you, because I'm going to show you the Ten Commandments, but in a bigger picture, and say, look where these fit into God's story, and look where these fit into our story. But more specifically, look how this fits in the gospel story. And let's look with the Ten Commandments, and how do they point to Jesus? We're going to look at three things today. One is that God gave us a law to live by. Second thing, we're going to see that Jesus came to magnify and fulfill the law for us. And the third thing we're going to see is that we freely obey the law with love and gratefulness. Now again, as I mentioned, we are going to be in God's Word uh, in Exodus 20, uh, 1 through 17. Uh, we'll also be in Matthew 5, um, and you can follow along, listen, or just even follow along with the words on the screen. But let's hear the Word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the na his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. 
You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor shall you covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pick up in verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, you have, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in in his heart. Verse 43 and 44. And you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And lastly, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we look at your law, the law that you have given to us, your people, by grace, we ask that you would come and that you would be teacher, that you would speak through a broken vessel like me. Oh, God, give us ears to hear your voice and minds to understand your word and hearts that would embrace your truth and that God you would be with us in such a powerful way that you would give us feet that walk in a manner worthy of your name. My God the things that are said that are wrong or just my opinion may those things just fall away and be forgotten but the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel as, as we look to it in Exodus and we look to it in Matthew would you use those things to make us more like your son our Savior Jesus, in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. First thing I want to show you is that God has given to us, his people, a law to live by. The first thing you see in Exodus 20 is this is very personal for God. Uh, He didn't just raise up a prophet for this. He himself is the one who personally is going to come and give us his law. He's going to use very personal language. He's going to say, hey, Moses, remember, I am the Lord your God. I am yours. You are my people. I am Yahweh the Lord. And he personally is going to give his people the law to live through, to live by. He's going to give it to uh, Moses on on the Mount Sinai. Uh, His hand's going to be hand-delivered. 
Uh, this is going to be something that is very precious to God, hand-delivering it, the finger of God. But what we got to look at this, it's so very important. Not only did God personally give us this law, but God, who did God give the law to? We can't miss this. we really, really important. God gave the law to his redeemed people. It was his people, it says in verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Isn't it interesting? Watch this. We don't become God's people by keeping the law. But it's because we are God's people, he gave us the law. Isn't that interesting? He says, listen, salvation has already come. Uh, you've already had that Passover lamb. I mean, you, I've already passed by you. The death has passed over you. You've already crossed through the Red Sea. Salvation, you're headed to the promised land. You don't do these things so that you will become my people. Because you are my people, I'm going to give you a law to live with. What do we see in this? Well, it's our God. Grace precedes law. It always does. The law was given for those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. For those of us who look to Jesus and say, that's my Savior who lived a life for me, died a death for me, who shed blood for me. God has given us a law. Remember, Scripture is very clear that none of us are saved by keeping the law. None of us could be because none of us can keep the law. We are all saved by God's grace through faith. We've got to start here because we start talking about the Ten Commandments the law of God, people are thinking, is this what I do to be loved? Is this what I do to be accepted? No. By God's grace through faith, we are loved and accepted. By God's grace and faith. And in the Old Testament, God provided for them a Passover lamb. They had faith to slaughter the lamb, to put that, that blood over the door, uh, to exercise the faith of God. And so do we. The grace that saves precedes the law that demands. I read that in one of the commentaries. I love that. The grace that saves will always precede the law that demands. The redeemed, those who are God's people, those are the ones who get the law as for those who are saved. So why does God give us the law? Well, God gives us the law for us to flourish. It feels like sometimes shackling. It feels like it's to keep us in line. But no, no, no. If we look closely at this, we realize that God has given us his law for us to flourish. God's law is like a fence around our, our lives, a fence for us to explore and to enjoy love and laughter within God's fence so that we can flourish. Well, how do we know that? Well, you read through Scripture and you see that, that God has created all things. Isn't it amazing what he created? He spoke them into existence, mind-blowing. But of all things that God created, you and I are his masterpiece because we are the ones that he's created in his image. He, he, he created us to reflect who he is. He created us to know and love him and to have a relationship with him. We are different than the trees. We're different than the sea. We're different than the animals. Uh, we, we have more value. Don't let anybody tell you we don't. It's not because of our value in and of us. It's all in the value of our God. And our God is made both male and he's made female in his image. And therefore we have infinite worth. Why? Because of our God's infinite worth. And because of that reality, because God has made us in his image, he's given us a law to live by that reflects that. Why? Because God is holy. God is without sin. God is spotless and perfect. And God wants us, his image bearers, to reflect who he is. 
uh, Leviticus 11.45 will say it very clearly. It says this, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Uh, you shall therefore be holy, be, be separate, be sinless, uh, uh, desire to live this life. Why? Be holy, for I am holy. Well, God's law is given to us to reflect his holiness. It's to reflect God's character. It reveals to us God's character. And we are to flourish as we become like him. Think about that. The world's going to say, you want to flourish, do your own thing. You want to flourish, if it feels good, do it. You want to flourish, navigate your own life. But God says, no, no, no. I've made you in my image, and I've made you for me. You want to really flourish in life? You want to know life and life abundantly? Be holy as I am holy. Reflect who I am. Well, God also gives us a law, not only to reveal his character, so we will become like him and flourish, but God gives us a law to drive us to a Messiah, to Jesus, because no one is able to keep the law. We should look at God's law, say, man, I want to be like this, I want to do this, but man, we're like Paul in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do, the things I hate, I'm doing, what in the world's wrong with me? I'll tell you, you're like me, we're all broken sinners, none of us can keep the law, and God gives us this law to point to the reality, guess what, we need a Savior. There's a story that's been recorded in all of the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of something that's been known as the rich young ruler. It's a great story. If you've been familiar with the Bible, you probably know it. Uh, let me just kind of recap it for you. You have somebody who's got the great trifecta. He's got money. He's rich. Uh, he's got age on his side. He's young, and he's a ruler. He's got authority. I mean, it's about as good as you can get. But even with all that the world has to offer, guess what? There's emptiness in his life, and he knows it. Um, because God has created it for himself. He's put eternity in our hearts. The whole world can't fill it. And so here you have Jesus one day walking through, and here's this rich young ruler who sees this teacher Jesus, and he's drawn to him. And in and, 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 and a sign of humility, he runs to him, and he bows before him. Wow. And he says these things. Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There's something missing. So he says to Jesus, good teacher, what, what, what must I do? Jesus, like only Jesus can. Hey, by the way, why do you call me good? Because there's only one who's good, and that's God. Stop. Do you know who you're talking to? You called me rabbi, but do you know that I'm different than any other rabbi? Do you know that I'm God in the flesh? There's only one who's good. Why do you call me good? Do you get it? And then he says to him something a little bit puzzling. He says, well, you, you know the commandments. And the guy's like, well, okay. Well, which commandments do I got to keep? And Jesus tells him some, and here's what he says. Here's, here's what the young man says. You know what? Good news. I kept all of them since I was a boy. What a self-righteous, mm, mm, mm. Seriously? I kept all of them since I was a boy. And Jesus said, you know what? There's just one thing you're missing. Your identity's all wrapped up in your stuff. Your identity is all in the world, so why don't you just do me a favor? Why don't you just go sell your stuff and come and follow me? Now, let me tell you something. No one is ever saved because of philanthropy. We're not, sell, we're not saved by selling our stuff. Nor does God say we shouldn't have stuff. Many people in the Bible had lots of stuff. What in the world is Jesus doing that he's telling the guy, here's how you become saved. You do something. Why did he send him to the law? Watch this. What should his response say? Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I've broken every one of the laws. 
I, I, I don't love the Lord my God with all my heart. I don't love my neighbors myself. I, I, I don't honor my father and mother and the authority you put over me. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I'm so selfish. I live for myself. My identity is in myself. Have mercy on me, Rabbi. But no, this arrogant turkey, Jesus pointed him to the law. Why he pointed him to the law? To reveal that he needed a Savior. You know who you're talking to? By the way, as far as we know, he doesn't get it. It says that literally in the Greek, his face fell and he walked away. But I love what it says about Jesus. He loved him. He looked at him and loved him. What a Savior. Here's, here's a knucklehead who doesn't seemingly get it. Hopefully, maybe later on in his life, he will. Um, you know, I, I don't know that reality. But what is the law to do? It's to drive us to a Savior, to drive us to cry out, we need Jesus. Um, that's what the law is to do. Jesus also came to magnify. We see that Jesus has come to magnify and fulfill the law for us. Uh, Jesus came to magnify the law. I love this. Jesus didn't come to lower God's standards. Some people wrongly will say, I read the Old Testament, and there's a God who's angry and a God who's a law. I read the New Testament, and there's a, guy, a God who's merciful and gracious and kind. He's the same God in both the Old and the New and some people think that Jesus came, and he's just going to say, hey guys, you know, there's a lot of anger in the Old Testament. Let me just push the bar down a little bit. It's not really that important to be holy. It's not really that important to keep the commandments. It's all about faith. It's all about grace. But that's not what Jesus did. He didn't come to lower his father's bar. It's incredible. He actually came to raise it, to magnify it. He said things like this. You feel good about where you are? You know, you've heard it said you shouldn't murder, but let me tell you, don't think you're off the hook if you haven't just hey, I haven't killed anybody. Have you hated anybody? I mean, somebody who's cut you off at I-4, how, how do you act? I mean, do you really feel good about the way you love your neighbor? Okay, you didn't pull a trigger, but is there hate in your heart? And, you know, for those of you who say, hey, I'm okay, I've, I've stayed faithful to my wife, uh, at least literally, but, man, I'm all over the Internet, and I'm not faithful there, and, man, I'll tell you what, if a beautiful woman walks by, whoo-wee, I mean, are you really been faithful? Jesus says, listen, if you're looking lustfully at another, you've broken the commandment. He's magnifying it. You have heard it said, but let me magnify this. Let me tell you what's behind it. Let me tell you what's really there. It's incredible. He's basically saying, we're guilty. Not just some of us. All of us. He raised the bar. He didn't lower it. But he did more than just raise it. Here's the good news. Golly, if you're not listening, jump in now because you don't want to miss this. He not only came to magnify the law, watch this, he came to fulfill the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. It'll say, I read it, it says, and it says he came to accomplish the law. What does it mean to accomplish the law? Well, we see that Jesus, what's called the second Adam, I mean, the spotless lamb of God, the only begotten son, watch, the only begotten son was the only obedient son. Everyone else of us has fallen short of God's glory. But it's in Jesus' perfection, from the perfection of his, his conception with Mary and the Holy Spirit, from his birth being pure through his life, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law in word and deed. God is holy. Somebody had to do it. God couldn't say, you know what, it's no big deal. I gave you these things to live by, but let's just kind of forget them. We're going to wink at them. We don't really mean them. As long as you're, as long as you're you know, trying as long as you're genuine, as long as you're like six out of ten, you're good, right? I mean, I'm telling you, that's how our world thinks, right? That's not Scripture. Scripture is our God's holy. It's ten out of ten or nothing. 
I mean, it's, it's filled or not fulfilled. It's done or it's broken. And it also tells us, by the way, every single one of us is born broken. But then you have Jesus. Jesus came and said, listen, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. What does that mean? Jesus came to secure God's blessing by obeying God's law. I mean, it's incredible because you read through Scripture, it says, if you do these things, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have life. So Jesus came, and by fulfilling the law, he secures God's blessing for himself, but also for us. But he did more. Jesus came to bear the curse of God for us breaking God's law. Scripture says, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Who is who's sinned here? Scripture says, the wages of sin is death. Who sinned here? Guilty. Every moment of my life. But here's Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, hanging on the cross, crying out, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would God, holy God of the universe, for the first time in all eternity, turn from his son? He had to. Because his son was filthy with your sin and mine. And he couldn't even look at it. It was that disgusting that the first time in all of eternity, the father is separated from the son, and that's hell. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did so that the wrath of God for your sins and mine could be poured out on Jesus. So that the blessings of God could be poured out on us. I mean, that is the gospel. That is the good news of what Christ Jesus has done. Jesus is up on that mountain saying, hey, you feel good about not committing adultery? Have you lusted? You feel good about not murdering? Have you hated? And they're all thinking, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. The Spirit was working. But he said, by the way, I, I came to fulfill it. There's amazing grace in this. And he'll say these things like, how does, if you want to get in, you've got to have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the professional religious people, you will never enter the kingdom of God. What was he saying here? Okay, you see these people who think they're really religious? You've got to be better than them. What does that mean? Well, you see, watch this. The Pharisees' righteousness was self-serving, and it was out of a cold heart. Uh, the, they're the ones who said, I, I'm going to try to do these things that, that will earn me salvation. But those who are in Christ Jesus, by God's grace through faith, who have been given Jesus' righteousness, watch this, in the gospel, in the gospel, there's an exchange that takes place. Jesus wears our sin. He becomes our sin. And by God's grace in Christ Jesus, he, he gives us his righteousness. Don't miss this, right? So this is the gospel exchange. And how does our righteousness exceed those of the religious leaders? It's because we have the righteousness by God's grace imputed to us, given to us, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let that settle in. God sees you with your sin removed because of what Christ has done. God sees you, and not, not just the little good things that you do. He sees you robed in Christ's righteousness. Is that not the beauty of the gospel? That's how our righteousness exceeds theirs. In Christ Jesus, our righteousness now, the things we do now, it's for God's glory. It's not for our justification. We're not trying to do it to earn our way to heaven. We're doing it because God loves us. For God be the glory. In Christ Jesus, our righteousness is done in gratitude. It's not done by duty. The religious leaders were doing their duty. They were doing that which they thought would save them. 
But in Christ Jesus, that law has been perfected for us. And then Jesus says this. By the way, you've got to be perfect. Good luck with that one. And how can the imperfect be perfect? Matthew 5, 48. This is God's word. It says this. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What do we do with that? Anybody here want to come up and say they're perfect? I'm going to sit down. I mean, there's no way. I mean, again, if, if the number one commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, has anybody here yet done it once? I mean, loved him with everything you have? Has anybody here yet loved their neighbors themselves? So how do we be perfect as the Father is perfect? That seems like a showstopper. That seems like you put the Bible down, you walk away and say, it's impossible. It's ridiculous. What in the heck is he doing? Well, our perfection has to come through the perfection of another. There's one who had a perfect life. And there's one who had a perfect sacrifice. And there's one whose perfect life and perfect sacrifice, watch this, has perfected forever sinners like you and me. Listen to, the, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he, God, has perfected for all time. This is in the perfect tense. He has perfected. It's done with ongoing consequences. For by one sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. That's a paradox. That's the gospel. Because of Christ's righteousness, because of his blood in Christ Jesus, we are declared not guilty. We have been perfected of all time, and yet he's making us holy. We're still in process. We're still knuckleheads. We still wrestle, do we not? In Christ, perfected. Only way we have that. And now, lastly, we freely obey the law with love and gratitude. You know, the most beautiful thing, well, one of the most beautiful things of the gospel is the law has lost its power to condemn us. Paul was wrestling in, in Romans 7 with the fact that he was a knucklehead too. And he was wrestling. He says, listen, the things I want to do, I'm not doing them. The things I hate to do, I'm doing those. I'm a sinner, and I can't get over it. I'm a redeemed love sinner, but I can't get over it. And he, and he gets to chapter 8, verse 1, and it's so beautiful and it says this, but in Christ Jesus, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. This is what they're saying. Christian, if you are giving your life to Christ, you and I, we owe God's law nothing, nada, not a thing. But what we owe is God's grace, everything. We are who we are by God's grace. We're not who we are by God's law. But we don't owe that law anything anymore. But we want to obey it, but we want to obey it out of love. In Christ, we're freed from the tyranny of the law. We're freed to obey the law in love and gratefulness. And we, what we see is that, you know what's fulfilling the law for us? It's love. Love is fulfilling the law. Listen to Romans uh, chapter 13. I'm going to pick up in verse 8. Owe, nothing, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Wow. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Fulfill the law by loving God for the glory of our great God. Fulfill now the law because Christ fulfilled it for us by loving your neighbor for the good of our neighbor. 
But how do we love? We still love within that law. That still law is still binding to us. We don't have to fear it. It won't condemn us. But this is it. In love, because God loved us, we put nothing above God. In love, we don't make anything an idol above God. In love, we don't take the name of God in vain. It's a holy name. In love, we remember the Sabbath. In love, we honor our father and mother and the authority God has placed over us. In love, we love our neighbor and we don't murder or even hate our brother and sister. In love, we love our spouses and we don't commit adultery or lust after another. In love, what God has provided for us is enough and we don't steal. In love, we love the truth and we don't bear false witness. In love, we love our situation. We don't covet our neighbor's stuff. In love, we are free, free to flourish free to obey the Father in heaven, free with a beautiful playground that's fenced in around us. And we run around as sons and daughters of the King. In reality, that Christ has fulfilled the requirements of a holy God for us. And there's nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love of God. It's incredible that the gospel is that good. And now we respond in love back to him and saying, God, this reveals your character. This is what you call your people to do. And I'm doing it, not trying to earn your love. I'm doing it and want to be obedient because you've given me and lavished upon me your love because I'm yours. God lovingly provides for us a fence to live within, to feel safe and free. That's the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, throughout the ages and even in my own life, there's been such a bad view of the law. It just seems like you're really angry. And it just seems like you've created a way, a separation from us that will never be loved. Because we're all knuckleheads. None of us are going to make it. We all fall short in word, thought, and deed. But God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel and the coming of your son, the only begotten son, the only obedient son, that you didn't have to lower your standards, that he came to actually magnify them and fulfill them so that you, holy God, maintain your holiness and your truth, but you also magnify your grace and your mercy as you've poured your wrath upon your son, the one who fulfilled your law, so that we could receive the blessings from him and he received the curse that we deserve so that we can live. We could be free. God, forgive our flesh because we still somehow think that your law is keeping us from something that we really want. That, that somehow you're a killjoy. Somehow you don't want us to thrive. That's why you've given us this, this law. But God, in love, you've given us a fence. You've given us a fence that you want us to flourish within. And you want, you've given us a fence that will bring you honor and glory because you're a holy God. God, give us the right view of your law as we have the right view of your Son as our Lord and Savior. We say these things in Christ's matchless name.